All that my story narrates. The meetings and partings. The joys and sorrows. The ups and downs of fortune. Are recorded exactly as they happened. I have not dared to add the tiniest bit of touching up. For fear of losing the true picture. My only wish is that men in the world below may sometimes pick up this tale when they are recovering from sleep or drunkenness, or when they wish to escape from business worries or a fit of the dumps. And in doing so, find not only mental refreshment, but even perhaps, if they will heed its lesson and abandon their vain and frivolous pursuits, some small arrest in the deterioration of their vital forces. What does your reverence say to that? For a long time, Vanitas stood lost in thought, pondering this speech. He then subjected the story of the stone to a careful second reading. He could see that its main theme was love, that it consisted, quite simply, of a true record of real events, and that it was entirely free from any tendency to deprave and corrupt. Welcome to, this is the, the pilot installation of uh, Rereading the Stone. Uh, this is a, a podcast dedicated to uh, historical Chinese literature, philosophy, and related matters. Um, so it's, this is our first time uh, doing this. This is going to be kind of a, uh, a, rough, a, a rough, rough run. Uh, hopefully it's going to work out. Uh, maybe I'll give a, a brief introduction, then I'll hand it off to my co-host, Will. Um, I'm, I'm recording live from uh, Southern California. Uh, my name is Kevin Wilson. Uh, I have a background in, um, I guess I'm, I'm sort of a wayward academic. Uh, I have a background in uh, early Chinese uh, history and philosophy. Um, and I'm currently working on a, a dissertation related to Mingqing uh Literature, in particular, um, looking at things like uh, dreams and literature, dream interpretation, historical forms of Chinese dream interpretation, and also the use of psychoanalysis and different tools uh, to interpret literature. So it's kind of this very uh, dreams and dreams of dreams, and so it's so a naturally. I want to kind of uh, the idea behind this podcast is that we would kind of use um, what's considered the one of the greatest. Uh, historical Chinese novels, uh, story of the stone, as the as the kind of the anchor point around which to um, uh, to sort of um, to lead some hopefully rather free form improvisational discussions. And so let me let me hand it off to my co-host Will, who's coming from uh, coming live from uh, from the future in in Hong Kong. Hi. Uh, uh... Yeah, hello everyone. Um, my name is Will Jones. Um, 
as Kevin says, uh, I live in Hong Kong at the moment, although I'm originally from the UK. Uh, I also have a background in, in Chinese. I, I studied Chinese at undergrad. Um, and even though now professionally, I, 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 I don't get really to, to deal with this kind of thing, uh, you know, Chinese history and literature, I'm still very much a, an amateur enthusiast. Um, uh, so this is the, you know, this this sort of thing that, uh, that I get up to in my spare time. Um, yeah, I'm just really looking forward to discussing and getting into um, one of the one of the great works of of Chinese and indeed world uh, literature. And we're going to talk soon about why this podcast will be called "Rereading the Stone." Yeah. Um, so, do you, do, you, do you want to start by by telling people who who perhaps don't know, like what is the story of the stone? What is Hong Mong? Okay. Yeah. Um, how about Maybe we can start with the, uh, you know, this, this, this novel is kind of unique for being a, uh, a kind of semi-autobiographical work. Um, and it's kind of a, a landmark in the development of what's sometimes referred to as Chinese realist fiction. Um, although, as we see, there's actually a lot of, um, like, surreal and, uh, you know, very imaginative elements. And so that, that kind of that mm. name can be a bit deceptive. Um, but because this is a, a semi-autobiographical work, maybe we could start with the story of the author first, right? Because it's going to be reflected sure. so heavily. Um, and so this is written by a, a fellow named uh, Tao Shui-Chin. Uh, there's some, there's some like, mm, some like kind of a disagreement over his exact uh, date of birth and death. Uh, what, what, I, what I have here written down is um, either he was either born in, in 1715 or 1724. I think this is based on a lot of like circ uh, circumstantial evidence. Uh, yeah, and, yeah, and he, we don't really he, know exactly, do we? Right. Yeah, and, and he seems to have died uh, either in 1763 or 1764. And so, if you think about Chinese history, uh, this is during the Qing Dynasty, right? Which which runs from 1644 to 1912. So this is kind of toward the the beginning of the second half of the Qing Dynasty. Um, uh, you know, I, yeah, for, that, for the podcast, yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say that you know the Qing the Qing Dynasty is the it's the final uh, imperial dynasty in in Chinese history. You know, it's and it's one. It, it lasted until 1911, which is kind of crazy to consider. Uh, but that's like one unbroken chain, pretty much from 1911, leading all the way back into uh, well, thousands of years before. Uh, right, uh, or 221 uh, BC with the the Qin. Uh, dynasty. Yeah, Qin to Qin. Right, yeah. And, and so uh, the, the, the Qing is unique, of course, for, I mean, for being uh, kind of non-Han ruled in some capacity. So the, the Qin was officially a, a Manchu, uh, uh, a Manchu um, dynasty. And yeah, that and kind so of, that, that's an important kind of historical factor that's going to, I think, going to come up from time to time in the novel. Yeah, so so the Manchus are a, a non-Chinese people. They come from um, what is now the northeast of China. It's that area kind of tucked uh, um, around like where kind of Korea, Russia, and northeast China all come together. Um, and yeah, we're uh, I believe originally a, a kind of nomadic or semi-nomadic people um, that eventually came to uh, both conquer China. And establish this new dynasty, but also, um, in many in many ways, kind of adopt Chinese customs. But nonetheless, throughout the length of the dynasty, um, 
they were still perceived by uh, many of the uh, ethnically Han Chinese people to be uh, an outsider. Um, you know, it's, it's, they think of it as foreign rule. And in truth, that division between Manchu and Han is reflected in things like uh, different uh, social status, different opportunities, uh, different cultural practices. So, so foot binding, for example, was something that was very common with the Han Chinese, which wasn't practiced by Manchus. Uh, and also the wearing of what was called the queue, which is the kind of, it, it, the kind of stereotypical long pleated ponytail uh, that you see in like, um, if you imagine, uh, if you ever read Tintin, for example, like, uh, or, or any, um, like, kind of stereotypical, offensive, um, like, caricatures of, um, of Chinese men from, from, like, history, from European history, uh, the depiction of um, the person with hair kind of shaved up to the middle of the head and, and a little plated uh, ponytail down their back, that was um, a practice which was enforced upon the Han Chinese by the Manchus. Uh, so it's that kind of society that the novel is set in. It's one where there is, um, there is quite strict division between the rulers and the ruled. For sure, for sure. And, and, and so in, in terms specifically of the author, uh, we know some details about his, his like family lineage. And, and it seems their rise to power um, during the Kangxi Emperor's reign was due to uh, their, um, their their ability to serve the, the Manchu rulers in some capacity. Mm. Um, so uh, I, I have some details from Wikipedia that are kind of interesting. So Tao Shui-Chin's grandfather, uh, Cao Yin, was a, a childhood playmate to Kangxi, while Tao Yin's mother was, was, um, was Kangxi's wet nurse. So you can't get closer than that. Uh, two years after his ascension, Kangxi appointed um, Tao Shui-Chin's great-grandfather, Tao Shi, as the commissioner of imperial textiles uh, in, in, in present-day Nanjing, and, and the family re relocated there. It's a lo long story short, um, there's, a, there's kind of a, a long history of um, Tao Yin was a, a man of letters and a, a keen book collector. Um, and, and from Wikipedia, it reads, Jonathan Spence notes the strong Manchu elements in the lives of these imperial household bondservants. They balance the two cultures, Tao Yin, took a pleasure in horse riding and hunting and Manchu military culture, but, it was, but was at the set, at the same time a sensitive interpreter of Chinese culture to the Manchus. Hmm. So he's like, you know, he's reading the, he's reading the classical literature, but also, uh, you know, engaging in some horse, horse riding and things more, um, yeah, more, I, more characteristic of this, of this Northern, uh, quote unquote, barbarian culture. And you're right. The, um, the, the Tao's were, um, my my understanding is that they were they were Han Chinese, but they were they had become like bondsmen, bond servants of the Manchus, mm -hmm. and so they they occupied this rather unique role, which was uh, having a leg in each camp, one foot in the Manchu and one foot in the Han, and so they were a very important um, bridge between the two the two groups, um, and as you said, that's uh, that seems to have been part of the reason why they they came to be wealthy and powerful in the first place. Uh, as you mentioned, Cao Xuetian's grandfather, Cao Yin, was, um, yeah, like, a well-known and, like, powerful man, uh, such that Cao Xuetian himself was 
more commonly referred to by people as Talion's grandson. Um, oh, okay. That was a way that, that people knew him. So that's kind of clearly like he was like a this, you know, well-known, like influential kind of kind of guy at the time. For sure, for sure. And he even, um, apparently, uh, Cao Yin, he was one, the one to compile um, th this huge work, the complete poems of the Tang Dynasty, right? And so when, when we, like, if you, it, when we see the poetry uh, in, this, in this novel, you know, which is well-regarded, mm. um, it's, it's, it's unsurprising with that, kind of, with that kind of background. Yeah, I think um, it's... I would say also that what happened to the Tao Fan... Tao family is that uh, when during the later during the the Yongzheng uh, reign, um, there was a, a pretty clear kind of fall from grace, and with that, uh, it seems that the the, the Tao clan um, and, and and Tao Shuichin himself uh, eventually you know fell um, fell into poverty, um, and so the and so uh, Hong Lomeng was written toward the end of uh, Tao Shuichin's life. Uh, and it was written kind of as a, a as an impoverished or, or, or semi impoverished man looking back upon um, kind of a, a certain fall from grace. Yeah. Um, and I, I think this is also the time where the uh, it, it seems as if society itself was beginning to deteriorate in various capacities. So there's this nice, I mean, not nice. There's this interesting resonance between what's happening to Tao as a person, what's happening to the country more generally. Maybe that's a, a little bit overinterpretive, but that's kind of the, the sense I was um, thinking of. And that's also what I was thinking of when I like reading this now, you know, I'm recording this uh, June 26, 2020. Uh, the, uh, the U.S. is just like doing a terrible, uh, just terrible job with the pandemic. And I wonder if like uh, there's going to be a resonance. Like, is this, uh, is this like the, uh, a similar kind of uh, U.S. downfall in some capacity or, or whether... I don't know. That's kind of that's kind of how I'm trying to. That's how I've been interpreting it lately. Oh yeah, that, you can definitely see parallels uh, with with modern day. I think one thing maybe just mentioned for um, listeners who may not know that uh, who may be like less familiar with 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 the Chinese history of the time, um, there are various uh, emperors mentioned uh, in this period of like the early and middle Qing Dynasty. You have uh, two emperors that rule for a very, very long time, each something like 60 years. Uh, and in between them is one who rules for a slightly shorter time. So the first one is called the Kangxi Emperor. Um, then there is Yongzheng in the middle, and then there is Qianlong. Um, and their combined rule is, yeah, as I mentioned, something, uh, something approaching 150, 160 years. I can't remember exactly, but it's a, it's a really, really remarkably long time. Um, and um, for the most part, it's a time of um, stability and prosperity, with some, uh, you know, palace intrigues and and uh, and things um, and periodic instability. Um, but after the last of those emperors, Qianlong dies, um, you do begin to see the the decline of um, the the Qing Dynasty and of Imperial China itself um, begin to begin to take hold. Um, just to give a sense of that uh, that kind of palace intrigue and, and the struggles that kind of go on, the that that middle emperor Yongzheng, who who bridged the, the two longer reigns, um, I think he was one of twenty potential successors to the previous emperor, 
um, and he was not the the favorite choice. Um, but he managed through a kind of mixture of, of of different kind of tactics. Some of them, no doubt, very underhand, to um, to come out on top. Um, uh, and I think he had a number of his his uh, his brothers and, and competitors for the for the throne um, imprisoned or, or exiled or, or or various other kind of things. But the thing is that kind of intrigue and that kind of um, scheming and struggling for power isn't confined just to the palace. You know, it's something that's true across the country. And and um, one of the things that is the kind of backdrop to to this. The writing of this novel is um, that there were uh, people in China, including uh, intellectuals like Cao Xueqian, who, um, because of something they did or said or wrote, um, very suddenly and rather dramatically fell out of imperial favor. Um, so it's the kind of it's the kind of society where you can live a very good life. But you enjoy it at the at the emperor's whim, I guess. Hmm, that's interesting. I, I, and even that, I, I think, is is fairly relatable nowadays. Uh, yeah. uh, in various ways, so maybe we, we shouldn't discuss. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I think that's a really good intro. Um, I, I think like I think we have a good kind of uh, sense for the background to the story. So maybe let's just jump right in. Sure. Um, so the the idea for this for this episode was, I, you know, I'm not sure if we're going to get get it through the entire chap the entirety of chapter one, uh, but I, I think maybe we'll get through the, the first half or so because um, there's a lot of interesting um, kind of like, especially because I'm pretty interested in these philosophical and uh, kind of um, intellectual. Uh, concerns. There's a lot of this like front loaded toward the beginning, and and so I'm I'm really tempted to um, take it a little, a little more slowly, and, and then when it becomes more like purely plot driven, to maybe pick up pick up the pace a bit. Um, and so in in the in the Hawks translation, the uh, kind of the the sub the subtitle for for chapter one is uh, Jen Shireen makes the stone's acquaintance in a dream, and Jia Yutun finds that poverty is not incompatible with romantic feelings. Mm. Um, so I thought maybe we could start with just, there's a lot going on with these, like, with the names in this novel. Yeah. Uh, it, it's really important. And, and there's a lot of, um, like, a lot of the stuff is kind of lost in translation. So we, we might be, have, like, leaning more heavily on some of the, the Chinese elements here without uh, presupposing uh, knowledge of the Chinese language for... Um, for for listeners, mm-hmm. um, I, I'm not even assuming that you know. I, I think if you're listening to this and you um, and you want to read along, you'll probably enjoy it more. But I, I also think, in some capacity, we, we are like serving as sort of storytellers, and we're retelling the story. Yeah, you know, we're we're rereading the stone in, in that sense. Um, and, and so the first kind of opposition. Uh, between names occurs straight away between uh, these two characters, two fairly important characters, uh, Jen Shireen and Jia Yutun, mm. uh, where the, the basic, the opposition is is between Jen um, connoting, um, even though it's not the exact same character, there's a lot of like play on homophony yeah. 
where like uh, gen is signifying in some capacities like real, like gender, mm -hmm. whereas ja is um, is signifying yeah. jada, yeah, fake, false, or artificial. Yeah, so so um, so it's both like real, yeah. unreal, true, false. It's exactly there's a very clear like um, dichotomy between those two things. They're 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 depicted as 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 opposites. Just one thing for sure, for sure. One thing, yeah. just as a, a, but the, the... A, just as an aside on 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 like um, similar sounding words in Chinese, because it's a language that has a relatively limited range of sounds. Um, I think I think I can't remember exactly, but it's somewhere in the range of several hundred sounds. Um, maybe it's something like mm -hmm. four or five hundred sounds in Chinese, whereas there are a lot more in English. This means mm -hmm. that Chinese lends itself. Um, very easily to what we might think of in English as puns, but but for what is the kind of a more complex sort of um, concept in Chinese. In English, a pun is it's really just it's something humorous. You know, it might be on like the front page of a newspaper, or it might be like a silly joke you make on the internet. Um, in Chinese, this can be used for humorous purposes, but it can also be used for like other um, it as a mode of expression in, in, in lots of different contexts. Um, I, I was thinking, I, I, uh, I remember seeing an article a couple of years ago. Um, it, it ran in a few different um, bits of the news media, but it said something like, China bans puns. Um, <laughs> and this is like a, quite a difficult thing to explain to people who, who, who don't speak Chinese and who don't know that much about China generally. Because it sounds like such a bizarre thing to do, but I think what they were um, really meaning by it is they wanted to to ban the use of uh, exactly that homophones, similar sounding words, uh, as a way of um, talking about and criticizing the government, for example. So, so one thing which which you do see commonly done is if there is some kind of um, political scandal or uh, accident or some kind of high-profile incident in China, you will sometimes see certain search terms um, become censored or banned. Um, and that could be on search engines, it could be on Weibo, which is like the Chinese Twitter, um, and in other places. And so what people will commonly do if they want to find out about, if they want to talk about something, is that they will use different characters which sound the same as the ones which are banned. Uh, and I think it was that practice in particular that they were that the government was looking to crack down. Um, anyway, sorry, back back to the story. Jun and Jia. Oh yeah, that, that's really interesting. Yeah, it's a, it's a way to kind of um, avoid avoid the censor. Um, I, I'd almost want to take that into like almost a, a psychoanalytic uh, sense, where you have uh, Freudian slips of the tongue are also ways that are unconscious, um, kind of avoids the censor of the mm. ego. Um, that'll be one way to maybe maybe to yeah. uh, to expand the uh, the kind of the the meaning. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and so, like, for, as far as like genshin, uh, like 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 one way to like interpret that would be like I have in my notes just like real hidden knight, you know, uh, or real gentleman concealed, right? Because like knight and gentleman, uh, like the the yeah. sheer, uh, are, are kind of related in this in this cultural context. Um, I've, from one, one of the commentaries I read from Zhang Shougui, he, he translated it, it, the whole, the whole name Jenshin as meaning, uh, to keep the true, 
the true facts hidden, yeah. uh, which is interesting because I don't know if you were able to, um, how closely you were. Um, so I've been trying to stick to the original as much as possible, uh, which is not always an easy task because it's a lot of very difficult language. Yeah. But um, that's kind of my goal. You know, I, I want to like, I feel like if I read this in the original, I, I will have like, uh, it's, 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 like a, it's like a mountain I want to um, uh, like uh, scale. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and and actually in the in the original in the there's this kind of this controversy over there, there's basically a, an introductory paragraph mm. that uh, some translators and some versions include as the very beginning of, of the novel, but uh, other people have um, contended that this is um, kind of a, a copying error where it was supposed to be a preface, mm. but it got kind of um, and because this is so um, semi autobiographical. Uh, it's it's really unclear whether it was it was supposed to be uh, part of the story yeah. or not, and and in the, so in this like in this pseudo beginning, which which the the Hawks translation leaves untranslated, yeah. uh, the 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 author ego, uh, he, he talks about how when it, when he's writing this he he uh, he he take he took the 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 gensher and the inchula he 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 hid mm -hmm. them right. And, and so that's very similar to this, um, to uh, Zhang Shogui's uh, uh, translation of Genshin as to keep the true facts hidden. So I, I thought that was kind of interesting. I, I, I would not to not to necessarily identify um, too closely uh, Genshin with um, our with our author. Uh, so, but in terms of and so the opposition, of course, is Jia Yusun, uh, Jada fake. Uh, one, one, way, one way to translate his name would be it's kind of silly, like fake. Rainy village. <laughs> I, I don't think that's exactly what he's going for. Um, again, Zhang Shogui has it as um, Jiayutuan meaning um, to clothe fiction in rustic language. Hmm. So it's like fiction would be Jadayu, Jadayu Yan, a fake language. And, and, and to clothe it in rustic, in, in a rustic would be the hmm. Tun. So like, you take it and you Tun it in some yeah. capacity. That, that's, my, that's my interpretation of that comment. Um, well, I think that. And so that's kind of yeah, interesting. We, 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 we have um, quite a lot of this through the book. Um, so not just these two characters, yeah. although I think that they're both important characters and they're both, they're both brought in early on um, to kind of uh, show that to us. But yeah, there are, there are, there are, there are numerous others. There is, um, I've heard one later in the story. I, I'm actually not, I haven't managed to find the character, so I'm not sure exactly of the pronunciation, but but their surname is Bu and their first name is Shuran, which the, the characters will be different, but the, the suggested like similarity is Bu um, Shuran, uh, which literally means is not a person. Um, but mm. but it kind of is intended to imply that they're inhuman. They're, they are in some way like, um, yeah, I mean it's rather obvious, but but it's like telling the the <laughs> telling the reader this is a bad person, you know this character is bad kind mm -hmm. of thing. Um, and so so I think this features quite frequently throughout. Um, and and I think it'd be good to kind of keep track of them as we go, you know. See, um, definitely, definitely, yeah. It's it's yeah, okay. It's funny, you know. Um, I was thinking if this was in English, if you read a. Uh, an English language novel, and all of the characters' names were plays on words. Whether it would feel like I don't know, slightly hackneyed somehow, or like whether because this doesn't this feels um, 
kind of like natural and in fact rather clever. Um, but I feel like if it was in English, it would feel and in English it might feel yeah rather I don't know trite somehow. Um, but I think that the that maybe reflects the difference between how uh, homophony works in Chinese as this like more complex thing, whereas in English it's kind of like puns and jokes and and it's rather kind of a bit more sort of like base or low. You know, it's not like high high culture at all. I I I totally agree. Yeah, I I think that 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 is kind of um an issue. Even the the translator, I I think, really is struggling sometimes to to render the um a lot of these names and terms in, in a way that's um like meaningful. We'll, we'll see later on. There's a lot of um the 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 strategy that Hawks uses is is often to render uh, names and places using kind of like a Latin kind of like a Latinate um <clears throat> form. Uh, and and I, I have real mixed emotions about it. I, I almost think it would have been much better just to leave it, just like if you're if you if you're talking about Taoism, just to leave it as yeah. Tao. You know, don't 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 say the way, don't say mm -hmm. the road. Just kind of like because anyone who's reading this anyway is interested in Chinese culture and probably by implication is interested in the Chinese language, at least to a mm -hmm. certain extent. Um, and and so that's kind of that's actually one of my my major misgivings with the Hawks. Uh, translation. So, uh, just as an aside, are you keeping? Uh, how are you keeping track of the characters? Because I, I, even at this stage, I'm finding it's there are so many different people. You know, this this is a this is a novel which is like a it's like a grand painting of Chinese society at the time writ large, and so there I think there genuinely is a cast of thousands in this in this novel. Yeah, I've heard three hundred, um, but I, I'm not sure if that, that's that's true or not. I've been looking online for various like family trees mm. and, and things, and some of them are 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 reasonable. Some of them are are, are completely like unreasonable. <laughs> it's almost like hard. It's it's hard to look at, or or like the 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 the, the like the JPEG file is, yeah. is is too big. Yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> so. it makes you feel dizzy just looking at it. But that, I mean, that, that's another reason to, to tune into this podcast because we're going to hopefully um, do some of the hard work and we'll also be an anchor for people who were probably um, otherwise really intimidated by this work. Um, so just before we, just before we really like dive in and get like actually stuck into the content, do we, do we want to talk a little bit about maybe um, the, the title of the book and its significance as a, as a, as a work? I, I do, but let's let's do that as we um, progress through the story because th there's really a passage in the in in the first in the first chapter where um, there, there there's the uh, kind of the dialogue between the the stone and and um, a monk in the future. <laughs> this will make more sense in, in a moment. Where um, some of the names of the of the the novel are actually referenced in the novel itself. There's a lot of meta things going on in the story, which I really like yeah. actually. Um, and so, what, what do you think about maybe using that kind of that moment as 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 a way to naturally um, be, before? What, what what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's a good. I think that's a good way to approach it because it explains, you know, in the first chapter, what is the story of the stone? You know, what is the stone? Yeah, for sure. So that's perfect. Yeah. That's, that's, okay, let's talk about the stone. Okay, so this is kind of where the this is where the story begins, um, and there, there's a there's this really cool um, 
I really like this because because of my interest in like Chinese mythology um, and my background in early Chinese um, stuff. Uh, I was I was able to kind of use some of that when I was, when I was compiling my notes. Um, so basically, they, they give an account uh, of 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 Nuwa, one of the kind of early Chinese goddesses um, who uh, was basically um, repairing the sky. Uh, and so you're probably wondering what what happened to the sky? Why is she repairing it? Um, and, and so I was going through the like the records, and uh, actually I have a good quote here from so so there's a 2005 um, work by uh, Yang Lihui uh, entitled "The Handbook of Chinese Mythology," um, and, and so um, and so so. Nuwa is repairing the stone, and so I'm reading a quote from this from the handbook. So one of the earliest recordings about the sky pillars appears in uh, Tianwen, uh, a written treasure of Chinese mythology. In it, the, sting, the distinguished poet uh, Chu Yuan uh, expressed expressed his doubt about the sky pillar myth. Um, so, so where are the eight sky pillars? Why is there a gap in the southeast? Why did the earth tilt toward the southeast during the rage of uh, Konghui, which is another, another name for a, a, a kind of a, a deity um, named Gong Gong? Um, and so if you, if you go back into this, this history, um, um, there was this story of um, a great this mythological battle between um, the, the water god uh, Gong Gong and, um, and the fire god. I mean, different different versions of the myth kind of uh, have different characters. Sometimes he's referred to as Dronshu. Sometimes he's referred to as Diku. Uh, I, I think also um, sometimes he's identified as uh, Shennong, which is the um, the, the spiritual uh, the farmer, farmer well, right? Who's associated yeah. with the origin yeah. of agriculture, and so you have this and kind this... of this battle between um, uh, this like this. Uh, this agricultural god and, and a uh, and a water god. For me, it really connotes maybe some kind of dealing with the issues of um, maybe my like Vitfogel kind of lenses are on now, and I'm imagining maybe this is a, a way to explain irrigation projects and the origin of the early origin of the state. These kinds of things. Uh, no, no, I, I really do think so. Um, it's it's funny you mention it um, because controlling water. Controlling the rivers is um, is so important in the like the Chinese mentality of um, of like government and good rule historically. So like one of the great like mythological figures from Chinese history is is Hu, right? And he what's famous about him? He he installed these like dams and and canals and and dikes and things, and and that controlled flooding on the other river. And it seems kind of funny because you know, like in 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 many other cultures' history, the fact that somebody was responsible for like a large scale infrastructure project wouldn't necessarily confer on them legend status, you know, kind of like actual godlike status. But 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 yeah, in Chinese, it's um, that's completely it. Like to them, it's it's, it, it's certainly in 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 Chinese history that being able to control flooding on the river. Is so inextricably linked to um, good government, and in fact, if you think about it, the the character G 
zhi for rule uh, is it's the water radical, three droplets of water and the, and the kind of terrace. Um, so it's a terrace on water. So the word for ruling is visually linked to the, the notion of uh, controlling uh, flooding. Um, so yeah, so absolutely, sorry. No, that, that, that was a that was a complete tangent. <laughs> no, 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 no. That, that's that's totally um the, the kinds of things that like I'm interested in when when I uh, deal with mythological materials. Um, I mean, partly the, this this historical um, kind of memory, these these traces, uh, but also you know how how it reflects um, kind of the uh, historical imagination in, in various capacities, and, and yeah. so and so I, I wonder sometimes. Um, so apparently, another kind of detail that I wanted to throw out there was um, in these stories, you know, one of the ideas was that this Gong Gong becomes so mad, he, he breaks the, the sky pillar. And my understanding is uh, the pillar falls down, and this is at least one interpretation, is that it becomes the, the, a mountain. Uh, in particular, there's, there's one mountain uh, in the, I think, the northwestern, uh, Mount Bujo. Which is Joe is complete, and so this is the the mount uh, the mount the mountain of incompleteness, uh, and uh, I, I wonder if if we have these different kind of associations between that and um, there's actually another mountain that's that, that's referenced later in the story um, uh, of uh, Hoyanshan, which is the the mountain of, the mountain of fire basically. And this is also yeah. interesting because if you one of the things that uh, as as we progress, I, I'm I'm probably going to be like uh, talking a lot about is, is the connection between this story and earlier um, Chinese uh, like uh, novels, in particular uh, like a Shioji, Journey to the West, uh, and maybe to a lesser extent uh, Jinping Mei, um, Plum and the Golden uh, Vase, uh, and 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 in, in Shioji, there's a similar story where um, due to some various ruckuses. Uh, up up in heaven uh it, it was said that uh, the monkey king uh accidentally like a, a hot brick from from the from from heaven basically fell to earth and it would become uh what what later was um this fire mountain place and so again it's 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 a story that has um it's like a mythological story but it also explains various things like natural um uh, like like natural um, landscape features, or even the you know the the southeasternly orientation of the stars. Yeah. Um, which again will will be again referenced later in this in this, in this very chapter of um, of, of Hong Lo Meng, right? And, and so I, I I think it's nice to kind of to dwell upon some of these um, details because it really does um, it, it really enlivens the story in, in some interesting ways. I think. Of course, of course. So the sky, this, this sky has fallen in. Part of the sky has fallen down. And we think it's from this grand battle between Gong Gong, the, the water god, and Shen Nong, the, the farmer god. And it falls to, falls to Nuwa to repair it. Exactly, yeah. Um, and so, and so if, if we go into the, specifically into the Nuwa story, um, it said... Uh, Let's see here. I'm reading again from the, the, the handbook of Chinese mythology. Uh, the goddess Nuwa melted stones of five different colors to patch the sky. And it also said she cut off the legs of a huge tortoise <laughs> and set them up to support the four extremities of the sky. 
Um, and so we see, we're going to see some of those details as we progress. Uh, at various, and so basically, in our story, in Hong Luang, we basically have, you know, she, she's, she's mending the sky, and there's one, you know, one lone uh, uh, block of stone that, that, that goes unused, right? And that's the one that uh, will, will be the, you, you know, the, the, the centerpiece of our, of our story, right? So, how, so many, that, 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 yeah. how many blocks of stone does she use? She uses 35,601. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you whether that that number has some kind of like uh, um, significance in, in terms of. Uh, I, I don't know. Um, I don't know. It's cosmology, it's, or maybe maybe like Buddhist uh, cosmology yeah. as well. Thirty six thousand five hundred and one block. Of yeah. So there's this a single unused block, which lay on its own. I'm reading from the Hawks translation at the foot of Green Sickness Peak. Um. On the incredible crags of the Great Fable Mountain, hmm. uh, and so at, at the risk of belaboring the, this stuff, I, I did want to talk about the Green Sickness Peak, which is kind of a weird translation. So the yeah. original is Chinggungfeng um, or Chinggungfeng, uh, yeah. and, and so that I was trying to figure out how to translate that more literally. So, so Ching is um, means green, right? Yeah. Uh, I wasn't really sure what gung gung is like a, a strip of a strip of earth. Yeah, it can be um, a ditch for irrigation or hole. Right, and, and fung is just a word for like a, a mountain peak. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But the the basic idea is that uh, this is again using this, this play on the, um, the 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 homophony of the Chinese language, where uh, it's it's often uh, noted that like uh, chinggung is related to um, like chinggen. Which would be, you know, if you if you add the heart radical on the side of Ching, it becomes emotion, mm. right? And, and and so like Chinggen would be the root of emotion, uh, and this, this this idea of Ching Ching uh, is going to be really important uh, for the story, right? Um, you could say this is this is sort of a, even though this is a realist novel, it, mm. it's it's really about um, it's, it delves into human psychology, it delves into emotions, the root of emotions. Uh, and it considers their like their practical, but also their spiritual significance in various ways. Can, can we just um, uh, briefly talk yeah. about Qing, uh, the color? So you yeah. you you said uh, green, which which I absolutely agree with. That's how it's kind of most commonly um, translated. But it's one yeah, of these yeah. kind of slightly weird things where it's if you look in it dictionaries, is, yeah. it will say green, and then it will also say blue, and then sometimes <laughs> it will also say black. Uh, which is really confusing because how can a color be green and blue and black at the same time? Um, and I guess it's, yeah, it, it can be, it spans everything. Ching kind of spans everything from like, uh, like deep green, like uh, pine needles through to like greenish, turquoisey, blue. Um, it's this, it's this very, very elastic term. Uh, it can mean many kind of different things. Um, and it's strange. It's something. It's a. It's we. We don't really have an equivalent uh, term in English um, because I suppose yeah. we tend to be very, very strict. Like you know, like a like a paint color palette. You know, this precise color, mm. that precise color. That, that's interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, and there's also again, it, it's also homophonous with uh, the the Qing Dynasty, right? 
Um, and so sometimes that'll also be a kind of a, a potential um, kind of vector of interpretation. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a very um, important word. <laughs> Uh, and I think there might also be, I, I've been looking into whether, I, I'm not exactly an, an expert on, on, on Buddhist um, thought, Buddhist philosophy, but I, I'm, I'm getting more interested in it. I, I want to I figure it out more deeply. And so I was looking to see whether this idea of the, um, the Chingen has a, a firm basis in, in Buddhist uh, thinking. And I haven't, I haven't really, um, I, don't, I don't have an answer to that yet. Mm. I, I think the Hawks translation of green sickness is, is a little bit strange. Yeah, uh, it, it seems as if he took the idea of green as in Ching, uh, and, and like, and also maybe this idea of like emotions, maybe like love sickness, and he just sort of like smashed them together. <laughs> I, I was wondering about that because when, when I actually looked up green sickness uh, online, it, it seemed like it was like a, a, a very specific medical term. It didn't doesn't seem to have, have a strong precedent yeah. for, for for speaking about love and lust and longing and these kinds of relevant. Emotions. I just want to. I'm going to um, have a quick look in the dictionary just to, okay. to see this once more. And so, like, so basically, what happens is um, this: the stone uh, is unused, feeling kind of unloved. Um, although it's interesting that it's it's not being used it is also seemingly the source of its consciousness. I, I think there might be some kind of philosophical significance to that. This idea of um, consciousness is this kind of surplus. That doesn't necessarily have um, a, like a fixed meaning, a fixed purpose, right? And like, like that could be a source of almost like existential um, uh, anxiety of uh, uh, various of uh, various sorts. Um, so and, anyway, along come the, this monk and, and this Taoist, um, and they. Uh, by, by the way, if, if you find a, an explanation for green sickness, feel free to interject. So you can interrupt it, and so. This monk and basically there's this really important pair of um, of characters that are gonna uh, I, I think are gonna reappear um, throughout the story in different capacities. And so you have a Buddhist monk and and, and a, a Taoist uh, a Taoist priest, I guess. Uh, they, they come upon the stone. Uh, they they like it a lot. They they get special. It has this nice. Um, I I think it, it it's it's. It's um, described as being multicolored, just like we saw in the, um, the in the like the Han, Han era um, uh, mythological description of the of the stone. Uh, but but they want to make it more interesting, essentially. So they, they decide to write something on it. Um, and, and so this and so it's kind of important. This this writing, this is kind of the I'm, I'm interpreting that this is like a, a really significant. Um, meta textual element where basically the writing on the stone uh more or less is the novel itself right yeah um and this is i i guess it's pretty cool it's a pretty like it's a, a fairly uh advanced literary device yeah you see you see things like it in you know there are some novels for example which are written as kind of there is a literary conceit which is that the author has discovered some manuscript somewhere or somebody's diary and they've just converted mm. it into a novel um for sure yeah. and and this is uh, and those i suppose develop off what is essentially the same concept exactly as you say this is um this is this magical block of stone that was supposed to be used to hold up the sky but in fact wasn't needed uh and so it was left on its own and yeah it was found by these the buddhist monk and 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 and, and Taoist priest walking together and um 
and they wrote this incredible story on it. It's not really explained like why that they <laughs> they wrote it out at length, right? Um, <laughs> it's just it's just it's read. Yeah, yeah, they kind of they leave it as a, as a surprise, even for the stone, yeah. right? And because the stone is basically going to descend down into the uh, the mortal world, and he's going to be he's going to be a part of the story uh, in a very concrete capacity. Mm. Um, and and I, the idea is once he once he comes back, then his his whole journey will be recorded. Um, I also wanted to continue on my like uh, kind of Shioji Journey to the West comparisons. I also want to point out that there's a, a, a kind of a similar um, one thing. To, one thing to note is that you know uh, 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 Sun Wukong, the uh, the Monkey King, is himself uh, born of a stone, right? So in, in a sense, that also is a story of a stone in some capacities, right? Uh, but also in terms specifically of meta-textual elements, I, I want to point out that um, th there's this, um, this kind of this like basically a passport and visa system that they have throughout Shioji. And, and every, every kingdom they, they pass through, they, they get the, the, the stamp and seals, maybe some writing uh, of, of the kings of, of, of these various kingdoms. Um, and this element in the story becomes uh, a kind of meta-textual element in some really interesting ways. Um, and so I, I was thinking also of, of this, of this, um, of this device mm -hmm. as a potential source of inspiration for, for having this, you know, this, the, the stone be, being, uh, kind of an object, uh, uh, to, to record onto. So this is like one of the first properly, uh, I suppose like, uh, magical thing that happens in the story is that we have, a stone which was used to build a column to hold up the sky so presumably was you know kind of cube or 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 at least you know shaped in some particular way is able somehow to magically transform itself into a, a fan um and the idea of yeah. a stone transforming itself in that way is obviously like a um it's intended to be completely unbelievable and incredible um yeah. And yet, at the same time, this fan is, um, we're, we're expected to believe the fan is so large that you would be able to write out the entirety of this, of this book, which, which, by the way, runs to five volumes in the English translation um, on, on a single <laughs> fan. So, so, so it's, um, it's kind of, it's, it's almost like deliberately ridiculous and absurd in a way. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's almost strange to, to to be saying this is a realist novel when when all we've talked about so far has been like completely unreal uh, elements. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so it's 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 actually nice. It's it does seem to be kind of um, you know, between these easy categorical categorical spaces, mm. that that might be a source of I think a value actually of interest at least. Um. And and so as the story progresses. There's um, basically like it, it goes off into the future, like the way distant future. Uh, it says countless eons went by, uh, and so we have a, a, another another Taoist. So not the original one. So yeah. we have a new Taoist called uh, uh, in the Hawks translation. Here the, the Latin term he, he calls it vanitas. Uh, in, in the Chinese, it's uh, Kong Kong Daoren. 
Um, and so he, he finds this stone again on Qinggang uh, Feng. Uh, and he, you know, he, he realizes it's a, it's a special stone. He reads a story, right? Yeah. And, it, and he basically enters into conversation with the stone. And the stone is basically trying to convince him that uh, the story that, that has been inscribed on him is, 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 a, is basically of artistic merit, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so the, I kind of wanted to maybe talk a little bit about this. Um, about this this dialogue right sure and so i i have a quote here where the so this like and what's basically going on here i think in a, in a certain capacity is that uh you, you know our our author is, is is trying something new you know artistically he's really diverging from a kind of like idealist tradition where uh where all the um you'd have stories where you know Everyone, this clear, clear good guys, clear bad guys, um, kind of superficial and, and a certain kind of um, strict adherence to a, a certain forms of morality, right? And, and so his story has none of that, right? And, and so the 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 this like this future, this future Taoist, uh, here are his um, reservations. So he's talking to Stone, and, and he says, "Brother Stone." According to what you yourself seem to imply in these verses, the stone of yours contains matters of sufficient interest to merit publication, right? But as far as I can see, one, it has no, dis- no discoverable dynastic period, which is kind of an interesting uh, little like, histor- like historical yeah. tidbit. It, it isn't set in the, in, in, the, in the Tang or the Han dynasty. It isn't set in this kind of ideal past. Uh, and, and, and two, it contains no, example, no examples of moral grandeur among its characters, no statesmanship, no social message of any kind. All I can find, in fact, are a number of females, conspicuous, if at all, only for their passion or folly or for some trifling talent or insignificant virtue. You know, he's saying, even if I were to copy all this out, I cannot see that it would make a very remarkable book. Hmm. And, and and I think it is important to note that about the book, you know, this is this is one of the four or maybe five or six great novels of Chinese literature. There, there are different ways of categorizing. But if you look at if you look at the four big books, Tong Wong is one, this book, Story of the Sun. One of them, as you mentioned, is Journey to the West. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the story of uh, an epic journey westward to find the true Buddhism, right? Mm-hmm. Then there is the Romance of the Three Kingdoms, which is a, which is very heroic. It's a story of a tumultuous time in Chinese history when there were multiple different kingdoms vying for control, and it talks about the battles between the three of them. And there are these epic characters who are, you know, capable of utterly improbable feats. But but they're they're kind of heroic characters. They are they there's a kind of aspirational quality to them. Mm-hmm. And then the final one of those four is uh, Outlaws of the Marsh, uh, something that's called the Water Margin, uh, which is yeah a story of, of uh, it's 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 you know guys being dudes. It's like uh, it's like a it's like a gang of brothers who are um, fighting against uh, like an impress- oppressive and um, tyrannical like uh, ruling dynasty basically. Mm-hmm. But that is also quite like a heroic kind of book. Um, and so what's interesting about Hong Wong is that there's nothing 
as he says right here, he's telling us like from the get go, by the way, there's not going to be any like, um, there are no great battle scenes. There's no like dramatic chase scene or explosions. This isn't a fable that's going to, you know, convey some important moral message to you. It is, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's the story of, uh, people and society at the time. Uh, and, and that is like a very important divergence from the way that literature maybe had been done, uh, at least according to like the right way of doing it in, 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 in China and historically. For sure. For sure. Um, and, and so this is basically um, what, what you said, uh, the, the response by the stone in, in by implication by the author is like, look, what, what you're what you're listing these are my positive attributes you know and so it's basically he he, he mounts a defense of a certain kind of realism in storytelling in, in storytelling and, and and a pretty yeah. strong attack on on these on the artificial character um of using moral exemplars um and he also attacks a, a lot of authors who seem to be uh the they're basically more interested in in the poetry of their of their work and, and the story and the characters are kind of a, an artificial frame uh, to set the poetry in, yeah. essentially. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I have another nice quote here. So here's the, the defense of of the, of the story, basically, uh, by the author, by the stone. Right. It says all that, all that my story narrates: the meetings and partings, the joys and sorrows, the ups and downs of fortune, are recorded exactly as they happened. Right. So you, we get a semi-autobiographical um, uh, reference. Uh, I have not dared to add the tiniest bit of touching up for fear of losing the true picture. Um, my only wish is that men in the world below, you know, in, in the, the world of mortals, right? Because they're, they're, they're talking in this, um, in this fantasy land, uh, may sometimes pick up this tale when they are recovering from sleep or drunkenness uh, or, or when they wish to escape from business worries or a fit of the dumps. <laughs> and, and in doing so, find not only mental refreshment, but even perhaps if they heed its lessons and abandon their vain and frivolous pursuits, some small arrest in the... In the deterioration of their vital forces, and so mm. he's like, well, "What do you say about that, Vanitas?" And so uh, Van Vanitas, Kong Kong Daren, he he, uh, he he he's lost in thought. You know, he's thinking about the speech, and then he he subjects the story of the stone to a careful second reading, and that's kind mm. of you know that's sort of what I was thinking about when when I uh, when I when I came with came with the title for the podcast being rereading the stone. So this is basically we are. We are Kong Kong Daoran, and we're gonna just, uh, read it again, right? Uh, so, although so actually, I, I, just... should, I should I should point out that Anthony Yu, um, a, a famous um, sinologist, has also a book with that exam with that same title, and so I'm also kind of referencing Anthony Yu's book as well. Uh, I don't know. So can we just talk about uh, Kong Kong Daoran quickly? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's a it's a kind of slightly peculiar name. I mean, if you if you Translate it absolutely literally. It means empty, empty road person. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now Tao here is 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 Tao like Taoism. So mm -hmm. Tao Ren means like Taoist. Mm -hmm. I think in this case the Taoist priest. Um, Hong Kong empty, empty. What what do we think that is supposed to mean here? Like what does it signify? Um. I would suggest that we also take in consideration the names of the uh, of the other um, the, the the Buddhist uh, uh, the Buddhist priest 
and and the Taoist priest that that I mentioned earlier, right? The, the Buddhist monk, I mm-hmm. guess. And so the Buddhist monk also has this kind of this 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 kind of double um, syllable where his name is Mang Mang Da Shi, right? And, and, and so uh, Hawks gives it again this somewhat annoying uh, Latinate translation as the Buddhist uh, Mahasattva. Uh, impervioso. <laughs> so he, yeah. he's translating Mang Mang as impervioso. Whereas the the, the Taoist <laughs> that he hangs out with um, is uh, Miao Miao Jenren, and that's um, Hawks has it as the the the, the Taoist illuminate mysterioso. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so we have Mang Mang, Miao Miao, and Kong Kong. Uh, I wonder if it is this kind of. Um, Almost like on a mata poetic device happening, where it's 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 meant to, it's almost like a, it's supposed to have a kind of an effect on you, just to stir you from like into consciousness or something. I'm not sure. Is is that is that plausible? I think it's quite plausible. Yeah, I, I it's just it's it, it's just kind of fascinating to me as a framing device uh, altogether. You know, it's like yeah. None of this stuff is essential to the story, I suppose. I mean, obviously, that having having the, the 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 stone itself be introduced is important, I suppose. Um, but having this whole discourse on justifying the, the whole existence of the book um, is is so kind of bizarre and it's so um, it's so unusual in in novels, you know. Like, it's much more fun sure. just to get straight into the action. Uh, whereas, <laughs> whereas he, you can kind of imagine maybe. Feeling somehow the need to to kind of justify it spends this this spends an age just um yeah going on about how uh it as we said doesn't have these like heroic figures or moral exemplars or or, or any identifiable historical time period uh, it's just a book you can pick up and read and enjoy and and you know take yourself away from from the kind of your troubles of of, of day to day life. My sense is that the author is also trying to. A lot of this this speech has this kind of like um, it's like humility, but it's not entirely genuine. I, I I think the the author is trying to, on one hand, be humble, but also indicate that he he has actually thought about um, like for instance, I wonder if this is a reflection of uh, of something I actually I, I want to talk about as well of of the the relationship between um, Taoism and Buddhism. Like how, how can these guys be friends? How mm. can they? Um, how do they like bridge the um, the gap between the, these systems of belief, right? One of which is um, yeah. is indigenous to China, uh, Taoism, and one of which is this kind of this foreign um, form. Um, I, yeah. I also want to point out that um, this idea of of the, the Taoist being Genren, uh This is a reference to. Uh, it seems as if Taoism. There's a different. In Taoist philosophical and religious systems, there's a different kind of attitude toward, you know, reality, toward toward realness, toward gen, gender stuff, than there is in the um, in the Buddhist tradition. I wonder if if in the Buddhist tradition there's a greater emphasis on on illusion or or on vacuity or or like, and I wonder whether this is a way of kind of. Um, highlighting that um that difference in some capacity i don't know mm. uh, I, I, that's kind of a question I, 
I feel like I know so little about um, the real like nuts and bolts of both Taoist and, and Buddhist mm. uh, yeah. like orthodoxy mm-hmm. doctrine. Um, it's difficult for me to say, um, but I did think it was kind of peculiar and fascinating that the two of them should be walking down the road like old friends. Um, I mean, it, it's kind of obviously not what the author was going for, but it sounded to me like the start of a bad joke. You know, <laughs> yeah, the one yeah, that's yeah. like a, a rabbi and a Catholic priest <laughs> are walking down the street and kind of thing. <laughs> and, and so, I was, uh, go on. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I, I, I know that when we, when uh, Kong Kong Daoran has finished speaking to the stone, we get onto this uh, then uh, discussion of that, that the name of the book. Right, right, right. Um, but be, be, right before we do that, I, I want to just point out this really important because, again, I'm like uh, fixating on these philosophical elements. Uh, where so right after reading the the story, um, uh, Kong Kong Daoran has this kind of um, like transformative uh, moment, right? And, and so in in the Hawks translation, it reads, uh, "Vanitas Kong Kong Daoran, he he, 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 he he stared off into the void." And then in, in the translation, which is truth, came to the contemplation of form, which is illusion, and from form engendered passion. And by communicating passion, entered again into form, and from form awoke to the void. Uh, and, and this is a really kind of, uh, uh, this, is, uh, this is almost like the peak kind of philosophical uh, moment, I think, in some capacities, mm. where... Uh, and so I've been kind of like, and so the void here is, is again, it's Kong. It's, it's the same, um, the Kong is in Kong Kong Daoran. And so yeah. he's, he, he stared off into the void uh, and came to the contemplation of form. Uh, what's interesting here is that form is, um, it's it's, 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 it's which also sometimes color. Uh, appearance and it also kind of in Chinese has a, a sort of um, sometimes has a I'm not sure if it has here but sometimes has a, a sexual or a sensual uh, a connotation right I, I was even uh, yeah. yeah definitely in the modern in the modern context it, it means uh, yeah something like right. lust or Which, lasciviousness even if you call someone like sir it, it means like you're almost you can use it in a slightly derogatory way to mean like someone's being mm-hmm. kind of slightly yeah. lecherous almost. Yeah, it's, I, I was even, I was on Twitter like uh, musing uh, whether you could like, you, you could you could translate, instead of form, you could translate tzu as like flesh because uh, this is great like philosophical tradition. Yeah. Uh, uh, Ponty comes to mind where he has a whole like philosophy of, of flesh and the primacy of flesh and the way you, it's like being, sensing beings, uh, uh, although if you actually if you go into this if you look at the original language it's clear here that this is this is um, a reference not only to um, to Buddhist doctrine but specifically to um, the, the Heart Sutra right um, and so there's this, this famous idea of, a line from the Heart Sutra where it's basically you know form uh, is also appearance or, or form is emptiness, emptiness is form, basically, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so that, that's definitely a, a reference uh, here. And another thing to point out that um, this idea of um, of uh, being awoke to the void uh, is wukong, 
which is also the name of uh, Sun Wukong. It's the name of Monkey King. So yeah, it's the it's the yeah, yeah. the lead character from. And so from Chinese, I feel I feel CLG, obliged right? to like to keep track of all these references. And so this is the moment where yeah. the um, apparently our 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 future our future monk Vanitas Kong Kong Daren, he changes um, the name of the story from Shitoji Story of the Stone to uh what was he changing to ching sung lu right which is the um yeah. which, which hawks translates as the tale of brother amor right and so we yeah yeah but but, but it means like the, the passionate monk the passionate monk the exactly. passionate monk's yeah. story something like that yeah yeah, yeah. so he kind of insinu insinuates himself into the story right um, yeah yeah yeah, in, in, yeah he's in written himself way. in so the stone is he... almost like a mirror in a sense for him yeah mm -hmm. But this, this, but this section also touches on some of the other names for the, for the story, and so there are like at least five potential names. Yeah. Uh, there's the one by which is known in Chinese, Hong Lo Mong, yeah. which is, which we, it's often translated as the dream of the red chamber. Right. Um, but then you've got the story of the stone, Trilogy. You have Qing Sheng Lu, the 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 passionate monk tale. Yeah. But you have two others as well. There's Feng Yue Baojian, which is um, a jeweled mirror reflecting literally uh, wind and the moon. Mm. But like wind and moon here is um, is a term that kind of means like romance or it's sort of like romantic yearning, something like that. Mm -hmm. And then so it's like a reflection of romantic yearning. And and I mean, so much of the story is that. It's like yeah. Cao Qin, the author, writing about all of the beautiful women that he knew, quote unquote, when he was younger, mm -hmm. um, and and so yeah, it definitely is a reflection of uh, a reflection on like his uh, on on like romance. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the final the final one they mention is um, it's often translated as 12, 12 beauties of Nanjing. Yeah. Uh, it's Jinling Chai, which literally means uh, twelve hairpins. From right. Jinling, Jinling being a name for 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 Nanjing, and hairpin here being like a, a stand-in for uh, a kind of beautiful woman. Um, for sure, yeah. And, um, and that that'll that'll appear uh, the, the 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 notion of this association between hairpins and and and, and women is kind of a like a a light motif, right? Um, yeah, it, it'll also be a part of one of the important names of, of one of the important characters, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, um, and I, I don't know if you, if you've ever, if you've ever read uh, Jinping Mei, which is which I, which is one of the um, the classic um, Chinese novels that is more contentious in, in whether it's considered one of the um, one of the great you know the the great classics, partly due to its more explicit sexual material, uh, but in that story, like. It, the, the hairpin plays a really like really prominent role. The, the whole thing is, is in some capacity like oh, is a like this people giving each other hairpins and, and finding hairpins where they shouldn't be and like whose hairpin is this? Is that your hairpin? Like, can I have a hairpin? It, it's it's really a, a central uh, a central uh, feature of that story, and I, I think um, yeah, it's 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 this culture, um, more generally maybe it's this standing for something much more uh, intimate. It's mm -hmm. kind of like in um, in some other cultures, it might be 
things like fixating on like wrists or ankles, for example. Um, yeah, because they are, although not like um, expressly sexual things in themselves, are are this kind of like slightly less seen place, which 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 men kind of like fixate on. You know, as this like, uh, and the hairpin, I think, is the same thing. It's it's as you said, like yeah, um, it's a it's like an an emblem or a token. Yeah, an emblem, um, a token, or or even like a, a like a fetishistic object in some capacities, right? Indeed, yeah. Um, there's a set expression, uh, ch- uh, chunchai, uh, chun a skirt and hairpin, which, which um, is again used to um, designate uh, women. Uh, there's also the idea of the the, women, the ladies' chambers, is another kind of um, uh, gui gu, is another kind of um, this sort of, uh, yeah, this like linguistic uh, associative mechanism that appears again and again in the story. Um, of course, yeah. So can yeah. we just talk briefly about that name, uh, The Dream of Red Chamber? Dream yeah, of Red Chamber yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think? Well, it's, it's so, like, it's funny, you know, that I almost think that Chinese novels have a problem with branding. Um, I feel like they might be more commonly read if um, if they had like you know snappier names. Because um, I was we were talking before right about the the the, the great novels of of uh, Chinese literature. You have this, the Dream of Red Chamber, weird name. Uh, you have Outlaws of the Marsh, but Outlaws of the Marsh is just a a, a name that is sometimes given in 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 English. The the Chinese name is. Which means the the record of the water margin. Like it's it's a mm-hmm. it's not a you know in like interesting or exciting name at all. Journey to the West, yeah, that sounds kind of good. And Romance of Three Kingdoms, you know, that one yeah. is kind of good. Uh, but okay. but yeah, it's it's what, what what does it signify the 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 red chamber? Because because it to to us as as kind of Westerners, as it were. Uh, red has a very different uh, kind of cultural significance than uh, than it does in Chinese culture historically. Uh, you know, for us, red is uh, can often signify, you know, passion, blood. Mm-hmm. Um, it can signify, of course, uh, danger. Uh, it can signify many kind of things, I suppose. But 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 in Chinese, it's predominantly like a lucky color, right? Red is Red is good. Red is uh, red is the color that that brides would wear on their on their wedding days in 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 the traditional Chinese wedding ceremony. Uh, so it has this completely different kind of connotation. Um, and the red chamber here is is um, I mean I think there are a lot of different interpretations of what it uh, what it refers to. Uh, one thing that Hawks talks about is um, it could be referring to like a in a similar way, like a um, a woman's bedchamber, um, um, and that kind of tracks with with the the way the the, the novel seems to play out. You know, um, it's a lot about um, human relationships and uh, romantic interest. Okay, I, I would also maybe consider just um, well, return to this idea of form as as su. The, the red chamber could also just be the body, the human body. You know, we basically are red chambers. Um, 
would that that would go maybe with some of the, some of the connotations you're you're discussing um yeah absolutely it's a really it's a really interesting idea and one that i had uh never considered yeah. but and plus and plus the heart sutra i mean that's going to be the heart is is also maybe the ultimate red chamber at least as we imagine it to be i mean i guess yeah. it's, there's no oxygen in there maybe it's actually purple but in, in, in the in the imagination it, yeah, it, it is imagination, um, it is red and later on, we're actually getting really close to the point uh, of the story where um, we're gonna we're gonna deal with the um, the crimson pearl flower, right? Um, and I guess this um, Jiangju, this um, was, was I guess Jiang would be more like a purple red, mm. but again, that that's almost like the heart again. Uh, and I, I've I've heard um, some some interpretations of uh, of that as um, the red signifying tears of blood, which is a little bit, a bit, a bit of a strong image, but, um, so, so what happens with the tears of passion? What happens with the scarlet flower? What happens with the, um, okay. what's the significance of it to the story? Um, well, so I, I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit, so maybe we should, um, how are we doing on time? It's, it's been about an hour and 15 minutes. I, I think we go a little longer, maybe go try to make it to, um, Basically, the discussion of the the giant stone archway, and then and and there for today. Does that sound reasonable? That sounds good to me. Um, and so basically, what happens is, you know, the the, the story finally starts. <laughs> I, I know I've said that like a few times already now. And, and and they talk about you know the sky and the you know it parallels the the, the Nuwa story. Um, and and they, they give the the basic the setting for the, the for the the opening. Right, it takes place on a place called uh, uh, Qingxiang, uh, which is which hawks translate as Carnal Lane. So we have that Qing again. It's it's, it's really like it's up in your in your face, and and so our 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 character Jenshin, who we talked about his name a little bit, he basically has a dream, um, and in the dream, you know, he 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 comes upon. Uh, Again, he comes upon the 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 Buddhist the Buddhist monk and the Taoist priest that that we were um, that we discussed earlier, right? Um, and so, basically, again, this is almost hard to recall because there is a, a certain element of like retelling the same thing over and over again. The the monk retells the stone story, and he's not he's not telling it to. Uh, to Genshirin directly, but Genshirin is there, and he kind of overhears some of it, right? And so, so we learn a little more, a little more of the details, right? And, and so we learn that, uh, you know, the stone has basically been wandering around, which is interesting. You don't think of stones as wandering around, but again, you know, maybe he is. He's just like the Monkey King. He's going on a journey, right? Mm -hmm. and, and and the stone comes to um, what, what what Hawks translate as the, uh, uh, the the place where the fairy disenchantment lives. Um, disenchantment being uh, Jinghuan Xianza, uh, which, which I think we're supposed to compare to maybe like Venus, like a, a goddess of love, right? So again, it's 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 mm -hmm. the same kind of realm that's happening here, right? Um, and, and so, but we le we learn like a new detail. So basically, the um, this, this 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 disenchantment fairy, you know, she she tells that the stone is is useful. She keeps them there in her sunset glow palace, uh, which is um, Chusha Gong, right? Which is again red, red clouds palace. Uh, 
mm-hmm. sunset glow, red clouds. So we we have a kind of a, a kind of a a thematic unity for a lot of these things, right? Um, and the stone gets an honorary title of divine luminescent stone in waiting in the in the court of the sunset glow. Yeah. Right. Uh, so this is this is again these more of these details that are um, are um, might seem superfluous in another like literary tradition, but here it seems to I, I think it contributes to a certain kind of um, a charm, a certain kind of depth to the story. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm like I'm digging it. <laughs> um, and so basically, the the stone is is hanging out in the in the court of the sunset glow, right? And he's by the banks of a magic river, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then he, he comes upon what Hawks translates as a, a beautiful crimson pearl flower, right? And this is the uh, the, the the Jiangju uh, Shentao, uh, which is a little strange, like a, a, um, a Tao, I guess, designating flower here, uh, as opposed to it's more. I, I I tend to associate that with grass, but. Um, I guess in this context it means flower, uh, mm-hmm. and we have this 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 um this red or purple red um, pearl, which he likes a lot, uh, and he um, he waters this pearl this pearl flower, uh, with with some kind of sweet dew, and it becomes alive basically, right? Yeah. And now now it's half divine, and, and it feels a, a kind of a, a, this profound debt to the stone, right? Now that it's alive and, and, and it's no longer it's, it's, it's no longer a quote unquote vegetable shape, and now it's assumed the form of a girl, mm-hmm. right? So we're still kind of in this mythological space. Yeah. Um, and basically now she has consciousness and she feels a debt to the stone, um, and and so basically, when the stone is taken into the world of the living by the monk, and and by the priest. Um, this 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 um this fairy girl is going to go as well, right? And the idea is the only way she has the idea that the only way she can um she can repay the stone for the gift of consciousness, for the gift of life, is through uh, a lifetime of 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 mortal tears. So she's paying back. It's like a debt of tears, mm-hmm. um, which is a very a strange a strange concept that even in in the uh, in the story itself, I think it's the, the the Dallas priest is like, well, that's a strange idea, but yeah. he kind of goes along with it anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. And so this is all being overheard by Gentry, and 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 it's and it's really kind of interesting and, and fanciful uh, dream. Okay. Do you have anything to add there, or does Sorry. that seem like a, I had a short was, that, was that a coherent rendering? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think I think one thing just to. Um, just to loop back to quickly is um yeah we 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 have this rather like grandiose and surreal start where there is a great goddess building poems all up the sky and monks having a conversation with a, a fan that talk and and a stone that changes shape and all this kind of stuff and yeah this we've just been brought back down to reality again you know um we're in a in a place that exists in the world with ordinary people living ordinary day-to-day lives. And then immediately we're back into, we're back into the, yeah. the like, you know, we've, we've, we've just touched <laughs> down on the ground and then we're off again to, 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 um, to find out about Crimson Pearl um, and, and all of this kind of 
mad story. I, I think this beginning is, as the story progresses, it becomes uh, more grounded, definitely, yeah, right? Yeah. But we're going to see that there's going to be more and more dream sequences. And so it's it's kind of a mix between the, these fantastical elements. And what, what ends up being a like a, a times a starkly realistic story, even in this chapter, mm. what happens at the end of this chapter, it, it like really brings you down to um, this, a sense for like, uh, like the cruelties of this world. Mm. Uh, what, what eventually happens to Jen Shireen is, is pretty, pretty terrible. Uh, and by the end of it, it, it seems that by the end of chapter one, it seems as if he like, he's almost lost his mind due to just these banal mundane kind of material uh, deprivations and hardship. Um, and, and so this, this first chapter, my, my experience of it was um, a, a certain um, amusement, but also a certain kind of disorientation where I, I could see um, almost shades of, of 20th century, uh, like modern Chinese literature, which often is characterized by a kind of a brutal realism. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. almost hard to read sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so you, you see kind of a, a kind of a foreshadowing of that in this story, uh, even as it really, you know, in, it, it indulges itself in this really great mythological and literary tradition. Mm -hmm. And and so I, I guess the only thing I really want to talk about before we maybe um, do like concluding thoughts it's just, uh, well, basically what happens is uh, Jen Shireen approaches the, the monk and the priest. And, and he's like, well, you, you guys seem like you're talking about something really interesting. Can you tell me more? And, and they're like, no, this is kind of like, this is a private conversation. You're sort of intruding. <laughs> um, uh, they, they do let him see the stone. And it, it's really interesting in, in a kind of dream sequence kind of way where he tries to read the stone, but he doesn't have time to do it. Yeah. I, I don't know if you've ever tried to read anything in a dream. Uh, it's, it's a strange experience. It's really hard to do. Yeah. Um, it's almost impossible. Yeah. Um, I, or, or like if you like, the, the words will, will not stay stable in the same way. I, I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever dreamt that I was reading, but I can imagine it would be impossible. Like so many ordinary things in dreams are, like if you ever tried to run in a dream, it has to... almost like a Borgesian kind of element where like the, the, the pages are constantly changing before yeah. you. If you've, yeah. that's, that's been my experience in, in, the, in the few instances where I've had that kind of um, yeah. semi-conscious dreaming. Yeah. Um, and, and so they, they basically they, they, they snatch the, the, uh, the stone back from Genshin and they're about to leave through a giant stone archway, right? Mm. This is kind of important where this is, this is the, the archway, um, designating the land that they're in right now and so the land they're in, they're in right now hawks translates as the the land of illusion yeah uh, which the chinese is uh taishu huanjing and so i don't know about land of illusion i guess that's right I, i'll stick it a more literal translation would be like great emptiness fantasy land or something that's what yeah. i have in my notes yeah um, that sounds about right I, I prefer a, a, a closer, a tr more direct translation. Yeah. Uh, and this whole idea of like the great, the great void, the Taishu, uh, I, I think that that's specifically a Buddhist uh, concept. Although it might, I, I'd be interested, I, I didn't check. There might be some s pretty similar uh, ideas in, in the Taoist tradition, right? 
Um, and that's kind of, I think, why we see both the Buddhists and the Taoists together. Because I, I, do, I do think, in many ways, these philosophies are, are fairly, um, uh, they, they can go here pretty well in, in, many, in, many, in many ways. Um, oh, and another thing is that the, the, the jade, the... Uh, the stone. The stone is, is now clear, beautiful jade. Um, right, okay. I was going to confuse for a moment. Yeah. And it's, and it's also engraved with the the, uh, the idea that um, it's engraved with Tongling Bao uh, Bao Yu. Yeah. So it's um, it's the communicating with spirits, precious jade. Yeah. And uh, and, and Bao Yu is the is the the name of uh, one of the central characters. Exactly. Um, yeah. And so yeah. there's this there is this suggestion that somehow. People have, have imagined that the author thinks of himself as Bao Yu, um, as our as right. our as our protagonist almost, uh, and yet the protagonist somehow is the stone, uh, or is some kind of shared identity with it. Um, yeah, it's like yeah, it's like a, a kind of um, identity, like a like a, a a direct materialization of one's identity. Yeah. Um, which is kind of cool, actually. Yeah, and we'll we'll come to see the importance of it. You know, I don't want to reveal any spoilers or anything. But yeah, no spoilers. <laughs> but but he's born with a piece of jade in his mouth, uh, Bao Yu, and um, I I kind of think it's implied that it is this this magical stone. Um, yes. So. Yeah. So he somehow. How is it? but is separate from it but is linked to it it's it's it's, uh it's quite complex yeah it's interesting though right um and also i want to add that um on the on the on the uh on the on this great gateway this giant stone archway there's a there's a a a bit of writing Mm -hmm. where it's um the Hawks translation reads, uh, truth becomes fiction when the fiction's true. Yeah. Real becomes not real when the unreal is real. Uh, and, this, and, this, and again, we, we were talking about uh, Jia Baoyu and Jian uh, uh, Shirin, where these are again, uh, we have these polarities. But, but, but what this, what this um, writing on, on the archway, on, on this liminal space between you know, the real and the false, that's what yeah. an archway basically is, right? Yeah. Uh, on, on this liminal space is this emphasis on this kind of the, the space between uh, truth and reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, like, maybe that, that could be kind of a, our, like, our, our, our parting kind of thing to, 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 to think about, right? Where I, I really, I, I personally think that um, there's a, a, a part of the reason I study fiction uh, is because I... I think in a, in a really in a real way, fiction can be more real than reality. Yeah. Right. At, at the same time, that reality has these kind of operative fictions, um, and we can talk about that in different capacities, whether it's ideological belief systems, or even whether, if you want to take it in a more materialist route, I mean, like, what is what is money? You know, is money real, or is it like a a, a real historical fiction? Yeah, it's one of these things uh, which is, uh, right. uh, what is the word? Uh, I think I heard the phrase intrasubjective used to describe it. Um, it's something that we know is fake, but we all agree to treat as though it's real. 
Um, okay, yeah, like a, a social fiction or a real exactly, fiction. Exactly, exactly. It's a, it's yeah. exactly that. It's a, it's a mutual, uh, mutually agreed fiction, basically. Um, and yeah, so I, I completely agree. I, I think that what's fascinating about um, reading fiction is that you're able to see this depiction of reality um from often from perspectives that you would never uh have contemplated or 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 envisaged envisaged before um and that can somehow give you this this like deeper greater understanding of um of the world you you kind of occupy definitely definitely and there might might also be a sense in which like fiction by giving by having this distance from like the you know material like a direct material consequence i i i think that allows for like a, a space for expression uh, like a yeah for for expressing things that can't be expressed when the real becomes too real yeah uh, almost unrepresentable real whether it's unrepresentable in, in a social capacity because of as we mentioned before the issues of um of what's permissible to say, what 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 can pass the censors, right? Um, but right. also, it, 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 it maybe in a psychological sense as well, right? What what we can like, if something's too closely identified with us, we we can't even it it it's we can't even represent it. It's too it maybe too recursive. It's too self-referential. Um, it, it's something like that, yeah. So so it's interesting you mentioned the 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 idea of using fiction to critique or analyze reality uh because that is also something which is very much a um something with great historical precedence in um in chinese history and for sure uh, yeah. the thing is although uh this novel Hong Mong, can be certainly on the face of it looked at as as almost like a chamber piece the kind of divorced from any real historical setting um actually uh, one of the things that um apparently um Cao Xuechen, you know his friends and family uh, and others were were worried about was that it might be perceived as critical of um of the emperor and that would attract you know further um measures against against him you know people who were who did uh set themselves against the emperor or were perceived to um, could expect to be removed from their posts, have their property seized, um, you know, and become effectively, you know, uh, homeless. Um, and um, and so, yeah, there, there there is certainly like a a grand tradition of that. But I just think it's interesting that uh, that is really a thing in Chinese history is 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 literature or literary forms, whether it's the novel, whether it's you know, plays, poetry, or or other art forms, um, as this way of uh, indirectly criticizing, um, because it would be impossible, or certainly extremely inadvisable, to um, mm. to to say it directly, uh, at least for for many periods of history. Uh, and so, I think these kinds of these sorts of methods, doing it doing it by way of historical allegory or or, or some other method. Um, was a way that you could communicate your point and yet retain a degree of plausible deniability. 
For sure. Yeah. Uh, I, as you're talking, I was trying to think of um, other kind of analogs from, from Western literary traditions. Mm. Um, what, what do you think? Oh, I mean, they definitely, uh, they definitely exist, although I'm just, I am struggling off the top of my head to think of one like right, right away. Sure, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's a very, I know that it's a, a, uh, it's a real kind of tradition in, in, um, in China, so far as I know. And that, that goes back to your, your earlier point about the, the use of like quote unquote punning in the, in this kind of, um, yeah. evasive capacity. Indeed. It's a, it's a, it's an indirect criticism. Um, right. You know, absolutely. Okay. That's how about, how about we end on that note? Sure. Um, sure. sure. and so it's, it's been about uh, an hour and a half, uh, before my computer, I, I forgot to plug in my computer. And, and so it, this really goes through batteries yeah. uh, more faster than I expected. Um, so this has been a lot of fun. Yeah. That's how about, how about next time we, we continue and let's actually finish the first chapter. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Let's get to the exciting thing that happens at the end of the first chapter. Okay. So, and, 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 and uh, thank you anyone listening to this. And uh, this has been our first pilot installation of rereading the stone. Awesome. Um, if you want to, if you want to contact I'm going to try to get this up on, um, I, I don't know how podcasts work, to be honest. I'm going to try to get it up on <laughs> iTunes and, and various other services. Yeah. If you want to contact me personally, you can, my, my hit my Twitter handle is K Michael Wilson. Hmm. Um, Will, do you have anything you want to, you want to plug? My, my Twitter handle is, is, this uh, is complicated. I, I don't remember. <laughs> Willie. And then a whole bunch of numbers. I can't really remember. It's like, it looks like a bot. Like, he's got uh, my handle looks like a bot. a bot. I think we might have to get like a special <laughs> podcast Twitter. Um, yeah. So yeah. And any feedback would be, uh, be welcomed. And if, you know, anyone, anyone wants to come on as a guest or in some capacity, just send us a, send us a message. This is a pretty open-ended, uh, project and I hope you enjoyed listening. Thanks a lot.